You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Utes. I'm Jay Catch. That over there is Brian Brown. As we found out yesterday, a big WWE fan. Brian, what do you got for us today? The Brown Bear said so. <laughs> Just like we talked about last night, everything went perfectly according to plan for the Utes today. Or I guess yesterday. Yeah, uh, National Early Signing Day, Early Signing Period, uh, the first day in the books. That will stay open through Friday through tomorrow. And we need to talk a little bit about Utah, how they ultimately perform. You said it kind of went according to plan, but I guess we also need to take a look forward because this is the early signing period. The actual National Signing Day hits in early February, so there's a good month and a half here where Utah could button up and add to this class. So we'll examine that. We'll also take a look around the Pac-12 as well. How did the rest of the conference do recruiting-wise? And I'm not talking just Oregon and USC. We'll look at the other programs, the other 11 programs in the Pac-12. We'll break that all down on today's podcast. It's all brought to you today by our good friends over at Coors Light. Love that company. We'll tell you a little bit more about what they're offering our listeners here in just a little bit. Brian, what do you say? Should we talk some recruiting? Recruiting season, baby. Let's do this. (laughs) Recruiting season. Let's do it. This is the Locked On Utes podcast for December 17th, 2020. What's up, everybody? I'm Jay Catch. Once again, that's Brian Brown. We are your daily podcast focused on all things University of Utah football, basketball, and just Utah athletics in general. Brian, we talked about this right before we hit the record button. We have 18 ratings, right? Is that on what we're looking at on Apple Podcasts right now? Correct. So we have 18 ratings. We have two reviews, which come from 2018, way back when. And we need your help. Speaking of you, the listener, we need your guys' rating, ratings and reviews. I can tell you this much. Me and Brian looked it up as well right before we recorded. Our rankings in the Apple podcast feed, they have rankings for the top 250, roughly, is how they rank them. We have been consistently sitting between uh, the top 100 and top 150 since we relaunched this podcast that is a marvelous debut for this podcast but it can only get better from here and how you guys do that is leave us that rating and review and as brian likes to say go ahead brown bear five stars only there we go the t-shirt i got a design for us everything i like it well make sure you guys do that a big thank you in advance once again thanks for taking the time to download your daily Utah-focused podcast. Brian, let's get going here today. Early National Signing Day has come and gone. I know the period stays open for two more days, today and tomorrow, but it seems like the vast, vast majority of the guys who sign in this period have already put pen to paper or done whatever they need to do to bind themselves to the program they've been committed to. But this does mean that there is about a month and a half coming up here where there is an interim period where programs can go back after this early signing period, evaluate where they're at class-wise, and try to add some more faces, some more names to that recruiting class. Utah, I don't believe they're any different, are they? No, they are not. And and they've got about 17 guys. I say about. There are 17 guys that have signed letters of intent today. Uh, 
Mason Tufanga, I do not believe will be serving a mission. Uh, Viliami Puha and uh, uh, Trey Reynolds will okay. both be serving missions. So those are push for well, not push forwards. Excuse me, they're sign in sends. Um, just I don't know how you know educated our listeners are on the recruiting process. Um, Every single year you get what's called an initial. You get 25 of those for every single class, and you mm-hmm. cannot go over those 25 initials. Now, scholarship numbers can vary from year to year. You can go from anywhere from 85 to 70 to 60, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, depending on your numbers. But you can only sign 25 players to an, an, an in every class. So you can only use 25 initials. Now, some people say there have been years where you've had 26 or 28 guys. University of Utah has gotten really creative with what they call push forwards. So sure. a guy enrolls in school or shows up for fall camp and they push him forward to the next year and use one of those uh, following year initials. Mm-hmm. So Utah still has a couple of those in their back pocket. Uh, we talked about 15 guys that are going to be coming into the program in the fall, uh, give or take, depending on Mason Tufanga. Um, but there are also returning missionaries. We saw Simote Pepa mm-hmm. and Johnny Fanaika uh, submitted uh, NLIs. And, and so that, that, that total will count towards this class. So that puts them at 17, which gives them roughly eight slots to work with in terms of letter uh, initials, I should say. Um, and I doubt that Utah will use all of those. Um, I believe that Cooper Justice, who was a late ad last year, is a push forward okay. um, in terms of initials. So that would count as one. And so where you're really sitting at is about four to five spots that are still open. And the benefit to that is you take and use those four or five spots to fill in players who might be leaving in the transfer portal after spring. Uh, if there are guys who get injured and you need to replace them, you can go that route. Uh, if you have positions that you see opening up, like wide receiver, where there are still prospects out there that have not committed, yeah, um, that's another opportunity. Utah offered a wide receiver from Florida this week. Okay. And so that's a potential guy that could sign in February. So they've left some spots open. I would I would imagine that they leave two or three of those initials or those scholarships in their back pocket up until the start of next year, just so they have some space to maneuver and whatnot. And I think that's one area where Utah has always been really elite is, is finding those slip through the crack type players. Um, it also gives you some flexibility if guys don't qualify. Well, in that, in that case, so I actually wanted to talk about that is there are so many different factors that go into these classes because it happens at every university. You can sign 25 initials and three or four of them come fall camp are not there for whatever reason. And you have to juggle that. I actually do agree. Utah does a great job of making sure that they have their bases covered with regards to maybe a guy or two, at a, what we call it, I guess, a defection or just somebody that uh, falls off the radar. I don't know what happens. There's so many different things that can happen with that. But my question to you, Brian, is now as we look forward towards February for Utah, are there needs that need to be filled or do you feel like they speaking of Utah can essentially to use the NFL parlance go take the best player available I think it's very much the latter I I do think that the the focus uh, and the concentration of their efforts will likely be at the wide receiver position I I just feel like that's a position that needs improvement the most right now you've got some really good talented guys in Samson Nakua Brian Thompson Solomon Enos Britton Covey but you have to build some depth and you have to have more talent coming through that pipeline because you've seen a lot of those guys take their lumps because they started as freshmen 
and you want to continue to grow the position, they get, they picked up two great ones last year in Muddy Parks and Connor O'Toole. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor is, is done for the year as far as I know. I didn't see anything officially announced, but that's just kind of what I've heard from sources. Um, and, and Muddy Parks has just struggled to really grasp the offense. I think Utah is – has very high expectations for their wide receivers when they're on the field in terms of knowing their route trees, knowing what, what they're doing at all times. And then they're in the blocking game. And I think that was one reason they were so high on a player like Makai Cope. Yeah. He's a great blocker, you know, uh, in addition to being a very smooth, uh, really, uh, he's such, he's a, we- I don't know if you've seen his film at all. He's a very, very intriguing guy in terms of like how he runs. He's very smooth. He's very level, even keeled, very technical in his routes. Um, and so that was something I think they really liked about him. Um, but I would, I would think that what they'll be doing is, is going for the best players available and ways to build the roster with those few remaining spots. So I, I, I look at this and I think that Utah has done a great job with their initial recruiting class here, as you, as you mentioned. I, I think that they have locked in the vast majority of the quote-unquote needs were addressed already. So I'm with you in the fact that I think now Utah – they can look and see, okay, we've gotten through this initial signing period. Who is still out there? What are these players that are on the market? And who can we go find that can bolster an already, it looks like, pretty stout program? Because I think both you and I, Brian, believe in the next two to three years, Utah is very much going to be in the mix in the Pac-12 South because of all of the youth right now in this program. As it grows up, you expect them to stay in contention. You think this year... with the 2020 season as jacked up as it's been, it's very much just become an approving ground for this young talent. And we've seen the early returns on it indicate that, you know what, this is a program over the next two to three years that should have a lot of opportunities to battle for that Pac-12 South title. And the nice part is, as you go out and recruit in these recruiting classes coming up, you can look and add to those units that may be okay we thought we were okay here we need a guy or two here to fill in with that and then you only get better from there correct and and i think there's still some targets that they've had previously who are out there that are uncommitted uh byron called called card Mm, let's try that again byron cardwell uh is one of those guys who's a running back out of uh, san diego california that utah is very high on initially when they were talking to him in, in the summer coming into fall, they were already four deep at running back, but now that situation has changed. And so that leads to open up possibility to maybe re-entering the conversation with him, depending on how the relationship has gone. Um, I have not heard anything that they have, you know, really maintained that relationship or not. Okay. But one thing that Utah has really tried to do in recent years is keep all those conversations very, very quiet and under the radar because once teams find out that they're talking about it that's when they start to lose guys and it's uh i was talking with a friend earlier today about how this year is so different with recruiting it'll be very fascinating to see what happens two or three years down the road and what the effects of it all are and and so this is part of it you know players still are not able to take official visits Mm -hmm. no in-home visits from coaches and i think that'll probably continue i'm guessing into april may I believe it's actually already been declared through June, if I'm not mistaken. It's at least April, if not June, yeah. Right. So um, just depending on how things work with the pandemic and everything like that, it could lead to Utah maybe reigniting some conversations that they have had with targets previously. And again, under the radar guys that suddenly, you know, pop out or, or you know, 
Washington, California, there are schools that have had kids that have been waiting to play. Hopefully those all play. I keep hearing more and more that it's not looking good for California. I think that's one reason why Steve Barrell broke the news on youthzone.com the other night about Peter Castelli enrolling sure. in January. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, I was against that. I've seen him make some progress just from watching his workout videos to where I think maybe now he's he's probably mechanically sound enough to do that. And if they need him in the fall, he's going to want that jump start. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing we need to talk about at some point here in the next few days, Brian. So we'll put this on the, I guess, quote unquote, back burners. We do need to talk about what I like to term Utah as a bellwether program. What I mean by that is when, like you said, they try to keep their communication with prospects under the radar, under the, under wraps, because, like you said, when a program finds out that Utah is on a guy. Multiple programs immediately jump to the, jump into the conversation because they know how good Utah is at evaluating and finding talent. So when they find out that Utah's in on a guy, you know multiple other programs are like, hold up, if they're talking to this guy, we need to take a second look at him. And that is worthy of its own conversation, I think, in a larger context. But uh, coming up here in a moment, I did want to kind of expand our conversation that we just had and look at the Pac-12 as a whole. How did the rest of the conference do? Where do we think it leaves Utah in regards to moving forward here? We already talked about the fact that we believe, at least I believe, and I think you're with me, that Utah is going to be a Pac-12 South contender for the next two to three years with all of this young talent on the roster. But how did the other programs make out in the conference? We'll get to that here in a moment, but we do need to take a minute and talk to you about our good friends at Coors Light, Brian. We talk about this a lot, but 2020, you and I both agree, has been a rough year, to say the least. It has, and and you need to take time to take care of yourself and just chill, Jake. And there's no better way to chill than with a nice cold Coors Light. Absolutely. You're dead on with that. It is literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. Our friends over at Coors Light, they want to remind you that it's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. All of their packaging, the cans themselves, they turn blue like the Rockies when it's cold and ready to be enjoyed, guys. Check it out. Coors Light is the perfect remedy for when you need to chill it's one that we both choose when we need to unwind so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's literally made to chill you can get Coors Light by the way delivered straight to your door by going to get.coorslight.com Brian and I big fans of Coors Light we're glad to have them on board with us here on Locked On Youth want to remind you guys to celebrate responsibly and that's with our good friends at the Coors Brewing Company Golden Colorado check it out once again go to get.coorslight.com and have literally the beer that's made to chill delivered straight to your door all right brian let's talk about the pac-12 as a conference obviously national signing day is a big deal all across this country 130 fbs programs not to mention fcs programs all in a race to sign the players they have been chasing for seemingly months if not years on end so let's take a minute and look at the conference as a whole and where utah kind of slots in and i think most people off the top of their head without even thinking about it, could guess who the top two teams in the Pac-12 recruiting-wise were this year. Yeah, I think in, in stark contrast to last year when everybody was laughing and joking and celebrating about the fact that USC pulled in the 70, 75th ranked class. Something like that, yeah. I think eventually it finished higher than that because they were able to land a couple guys. But uh, as the universe is – nature is healing – <laughs> as everybody likes to say, and, and Oregon and USC are at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the fascinating team is the team that slotted right there at number three. And yes. 
care to venture a guess, Jake? So you told me this right before we started recruiting. And if I would have been coming in guessing cold on this, there's no way I would have guessed. I actually would have guessed Washington. That was, that would have been my guess, honestly, but Washington is fifth. So reveal our mystery team to us, Brown bear. Funny. You mentioned Brown bears because it's <laughs> not Brown bears, but it's golden bears. That's right. Yeah. The university of California at Berkeley slots right in there at number three. Now, with rankings and class rankings, the way that 24-7 does it, and I use 24-7 because they're the most reliable. Yes. They do an industry composite where they combine mm-hmm. rivals, 24-7, Sports Illustrated, Maven, or whatever they're calling it now, and ESPN into one composite score for everybody. Um, they have Cal at number three. Now, some of that is just because the class is a little bit larger, but that also is due in large, large part to the fact that they've got a lot of good recruits. They have... Uh, I believe it is four four stars mm-hmm. uh, led by J. Michael Sturdivant, who's a wide receiver out of Texas. Very, very talented kid. Somebody that Utah offered early um, as well. Jermaine Terry, who uh, tight end that, that's very highly regarded that they had to fight to keep. Um, Maven Anderson, wide receiver. And then Kai Milner, who's a quarterback out of Gilbert, Arizona. Um, so they have a very, very highly recruited class. Uh Cal is another one of those programs that has been steadily and slowly building. And I think if you look at the overall health of the conference, it's a bad thing to have Cal be so good. Um, you, you need to have a few bottom feeder schools. Sure. And so as Cal and Oregon state and some of those sort of mid tier programs start to become overachievers, uh, it really starts to eat away at, at, at the conference as a whole. And I think that's part of the reason why it's been so hard for the Pac-12 to get a team in the playoff. Um, as, as we go through the list, uh, who would you guess would be after the University of Utah? Well, I already kind of broke the news on that. I had, it was Washington. I already said right. the dogs were there at fifth. But the funny so, thing about this, Brian, is uh, you and I both, I mentioned this to you, and we talked about this right before we started recruiting, is how the rankings come out from 24-7 sports. Is they go by total points. And that is uh, so funny enough, Utah's average ranking would have them, I believe, fourth in the conference, if I'm not mistaken, because in average ranking, it would have gone Oregon, USC, then it would have gone Washington, Utah. So Utah is in fourth in both total points as well as average, whereas California has more total overall points, putting them in third, Washington in fifth. And that's just one of the semantics with if you have a smaller class, less points. And so it's just a very interesting delineation there. But the one program right behind Washington is the one that I wanted to talk about here, UCLA. A lot of people have been down on the recruiting job that Chip Kelly has done during his time in Westwood so far there in Pasadena, but he's now in the upper half of the conference recruiting-wise, and that's a nice uptick for the Bruins. It is, and and they've done a good job of of going out and finding the right kinds of guys that fit into their program. I think two years ago they had my favorite offensive lineman out of everybody in Sean Ryan, who is now a second-year starter. He'll be a, a a sophomore again next year. Uh, so when you start to think about that kind of thing and, and the depth that they're starting to build and urban Meyer said last week on the halftime show on Fox, that he thought that UCLA was one of the most improved teams uh, in the country. Uh, I would be more reticent if it was another talking head other than urban Meyer, but sure. I almost guarantee you that that guy watches as much as, or more film now just doing his analyst job as he did when he was a head coach. Uh, But the difference is is it's programs all over the country. 
And so I think UCLA, I don't want to call them a sleeping giant. I think there's the conversation, uh, the, the grand, the, the mm-hmm. you know, overall conversation about them is, is very central about, Oh, they've been so bad. Chip Kelly's lost his touch, blah, blah, blah. The reality is, is that they're actually starting to land some really talented play, players. You know, Devin Kirkwood is, is a four-star guy out of Junipero Sarah, who is just an explosive athlete. Uh, Quentin Somerville, another defensive end that's going to wreak havoc for that defense. And he was a big win for them flipping him from Michigan. He was. Yeah, that was a very, very big score. Thomas Cole, offensive tackle from San Luis Obispo, another guy that Utah was on very early that as the process sorted itself out, he really, you know, kind of rose to the top in terms of his selection. Um, so they have a very great class, you know, a lot of no five stars, but but more than a few four stars. Let's see, they have one, two, I guess they only have two four stars and then a lot of highly rated three stars. Uh, but there are a lot of crossover guys with – um, programs like Utah and Cal and some of the others that have offered those guys. And so you can tell that they're all kind of in the same page. And and when you look at that, it does really make things interesting for what Cal or for what UCLA becomes moving forward. One final thing here on the conference, Brian, the bottom half goes in order, Arizona state, Washington state, Colorado, Stanford, Arizona, and Oregon state among the bottom half. I'm stunned to see Stanford in 10th place. Is there another program in that bottom half that is makes, is stunning to you as Stanford is to me sitting at number 10? No, not at all. I, I think, you know, Oregon State being DFL, Arizona being ahead of them, maybe a little surprising that Arizona is ahead of them. Uh, but I think part of why Oregon State is so, so lowly ranked is because they only have eight commitments. Now, the average – ranking their commitments at 85.24 yeah. so that's still pretty high but they have taken a ton of players in the two classes previous so that's part of the reason for their smaller class and they may add recruits you know as things go down the road because i think what the early signing day has done is it's forced a lot of guys to commit and and get their spots now mm-hmm. and so there are guys who if they're on the fence they're going to get dropped and end up without a spot and and oregon state can come in and sweep some of the but getting back to it, Stanford being that low after having such a highly rated class last year mm-hmm. is, is very, very surprising. And it's not really that small. They have 14 commitments. Yeah, but only one four-star in there. That's that's more to me. That's that's kind of the stunner there is you've only got one four-star. Stanford has traditionally always been a, a program that uh, finds diamonds in the rough, polishes them. Um, uh, coaches these guys up and they become the diamonds but in recent years we have seen them the guys like walker little is one guy that comes to mind they have taken some of the elite of the the elite from other programs around the country this year just doesn't look like it's that type of a year for them and i think some of the luster for the offensive line has really come off of stanford there you know ucla as one of the best offensive line coaches in the country sure. Um, and, and so they've taken some of those recruits. I, I, it's become a priority for everyone everywhere, um, except for, I guess, USC. I don't know what they're <laughs> doing sometimes with their offensive line. Um, but as you look at it, you know, it, it's shocking that they don't have the linebacker depth that they used to. Mm-hmm. They don't have the defensive line depth that they used to. You know, there was a, a year there where it seemed like they were putting three or four guys from that defense into the first and second round of every Correct. draft. Yep. You know, and, and the other thing that's really surprising, you would not think about Stanford as being a very cornerback and safety heavy program, 
but in those those earlier years of David Shaw's tenure and, and even bleeding into the, the Jim Harbaugh years, they were really fantastic about putting corners and safeties in the NFL as well. That's true. They, they, they did do a good job of that. You can think of guys like Richard Sherman is probably the foremost one that, to come out of there. Funny enough that he played wide receiver at Stanford before making that shift in the NFL. But still, they have put a lot of guys in the pro ranks. So we'll see. I, it may be that Stanford has found a bunch of diamonds, like I said, in the rough, and they're going to coach them up. They're the three-star guys. They're like, you know what? You come here. We're going to make sure you guys are coached up right, and we'll have another good run. Or it could also pretend that Stanford is actually on the downslope and uh, David Shaw may be looking to jump to the NFL at some point in the near future. I, I think another part of that too, that conversation is that with the exodus from California and the West Coast to ACC and SCC schools, I think it's programs like Stanford where they could kind of get some of those West Coast kids that wanted to stay out there that were academically able to qualify. I think that started to hurt them a little bit too. You know, it, yeah. it's thinned the pool of West Coast kids. And, and it, like, as you look at the top you know, top 100 here, uh, there's not a single signed athlete in the top 10 that's going to a Pac-12 school. Uh, Now, there are guys like Corey Foreman, who's the top rated recruit that that is favored to go to SC right now. But Mm -hmm. if he's going in the signing day, if it's between SC and and LSU, that's a toss up in my mind. Um, JT Tuomolao is another guy that's has a crystal ball in for Washington, but he's mostly predicted to go to Ohio state. So if you look at that, the highest rated recruit is number 12, Sam Heward, five-star quarterback going to Washington. After that, it's just like, Holy cow, where's another guy that's going to the pac 12. And and so I think that's where things get really dicey is if you're not getting, you know, top 10, top 20 guys going to pac 12 schools, that lack of talent is going to thin itself down. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, we will see what happens with this, but it is an interesting debate is can they can the Pac-12 really shift the balance of power recruiting-wise back out west? And that's going to be a years-long process to do that, but you do have to win. That's the biggest thing is winning cures all in that regard. All right, Brian, we'll get some other uh, news and notes from Utah. One thing I want to talk about is the Red Rocks. They had their, I guess, what we call annual preview but people were not in the stands. The thousands of Utah fans that normally pack the Huntsman Center to watch the Red Rocks in action were not there. We'll examine that, and of course we'll catch up on other notes involving Utah athletics coming up here in just a moment. One thing before we do that, though, is if you guys would like to work with us here on the Locked on Utes podcast, I'd love to have you guys on board as an advertiser. We can get you in front of Utah fans both locally here in Utah and even nationwide. The way you do that is to email us, lockedonutes at gmail.com. Would love to represent your company, your brand, whatever you've got, and have you guys on board with us. The Locked On Podcast Network, we've got a great sales team who can help you navigate how to sell effectively in the podcast sphere. And there's no better place to do it than right here with us on Locked On Utes. All right, Brian, as we wrap up here on a Thursday edition of the podcast, let's talk about one of the most popular teams on the campus up there at Utah, and that is the Red Rocks, the women's gymnastics program. Yeah, it, it's it's been a banner program for the university. It, it's awesome to see how invested fans get. I, I love, you know, Michelle Bodkin for Ute Zone. It, it does a great job covering it for mm-hmm. us there. Kara McMenamin and and uh, Sammy Mora all, all do a fantastic job on the Ute Zone side of it. Matthew Jakes, I don't know if you know him at nope. all from Twitter. Uh, I love his recaps where he changes it from a gymnastics meet into a football game sure. because I have no idea what's going on. I just think it's awesome to watch these 
women perform and, and, and the kind of feats that they can do out there. Obviously, I was never a gymnast. It was never going to happen. Um, but I, I do think it is going to be a fascinating experience for them to do all of this in an empty Huntsman Center arena where the fans and, and, and the energy that they bring have been such a big part of that program for so very, very long. Um, but it is a, a very young team as well. Mm-hmm. So how does all that factor together? How does it, how does it really play out? My hope is that at some point this year, Brian, at least some fans will be able to pack it into the Huntsman Center and watch the Red Rocks back in action. It is one of those programs that you wouldn't believe it, but when the Red Rocks are in the Huntsman Center, it's one of the most electric atmospheres you will find anywhere in this country. Especially nowadays where it's it's become so expensive and so difficult to find a, a really great sporting experience i think utah women's basketball utah volleyball gymnastics i have enjoyed a few softball games uh you know when i was a student at dixie state college that was my favorite thing to do was Uh to go to the softball games we loved it you know there's a big group of us all football players sitting in the stands cheering having a good time hey you're talking Um, you're talking to to the right man i'm married to a d1 softball player that's right in fact it's too bad that people can't see your video because you've got her jersey hanging up right there on the wall um Smart man, by the way, uh, you always want to marry an athlete if you can. Um, but, uh, you know, talking a little bit about this team, I, I think they're anchored uh, by Alexia Birch, first mm-hmm. and foremost, you know, returning captain, senior. Uh, I, I think her experience is going to be critical because it is still a pretty young team. You know, they've got a lot of freshmen that are going to be impact uh Gymnasts, you know, Miley O'Keefe, Abby Paulson, Jaden Rucker, uh, I think all newcomers. And and so the other thing, too, is it's going to be really fascinating to see how COVID impacts a sport like this, right? Sure. Um, we, we see with basketball and, and football, the close quarters and everything like that make it so difficult. Will that same impact be with gymnastics? Will they be able to reschedule and reorganize meets? And how much will the lack of a crowd be, be impactful on all that? Yeah, so we will see. It'll, it will be interesting to see what happens with the Red Rocks. We're looking forward to that. And like I said, on this podcast, we're going to cover a lot of Utah football and a lot of Utah basketball, but we will mix in the other sports. We, we love talking about programs like the Red Rocks, and we'll have that all covered for you. All right, Brian, any parting thoughts, shots, or otherwise you've got for our listeners as we wrap up on a Thursday? Uh, it, it, if you want more recruiting coverage, obviously they're going to go beyond in depth over at utezone.com. Uh, you and I both did some, some hits today on, on 1280, the mm-hmm. zone, uh, you can find those just search out 1280, the zone. There's a university of Utah specific feed. Yep. Uh, you know, their interview this morning with Frank Dolce. That was really interesting. Poor Frank <laughs> season's over for him almost. And, and he sounded so sad. Like he was losing his friends. He, he, get, he gets despondent when we, when we have the season end, but we love having Frank on with DJ and PK and all the other shows over there at the zone. So yeah, check that out. All right. For Brian, I'm Jake. Have a great rest of your day. Whenever you hear this, this has been the locked on Utes podcast for December 17th, 2020. And we will talk to you guys tomorrow.